Hey folks, we're the Con Artists, and uh, with another season wrapping up, we have uh, started to put together our thoughts on the show we followed this time, Concrete Revolutio. Uh, for those of you who remember from last time, Concrete Revolutio is basically a show that asks the question, what if superhumans were real? And what if all the superheroes, villains, monsters, beasts, spirits, etc. all existed in a parallel 1960s to 70s Japan? Um, it's a series that's just steeped in pop culture references, everything from, like, Godzilla movies to Ultraman to all sorts of manga and everything else. But, um, so in this particular season, after the events of the first one, which was all about a build-up to a huge confrontation between superhumans and regular humans, this one follows our main character, uh, Jiro, as he's no longer part of the superhuman bureau that was administrating over uh, superhumans in Japan. He's moved on, he's broken from them, and they often come into conflict because they approach cases of superhumans either acting outside of the law or getting into trouble, whatever it might be. He's coming at it from the position of trying to help them. The superhuman bureau is trying to either control them or there's other forces out there that are trying to harm or otherwise mess with them. And as it goes on, these conflicts get more and more intense. There's a much larger conflict that looms between superhumans and the spirits and monsters of the old world, who are now getting very, very irritated that uh, people have started hunting them down because they consider them too dangerous or for various other nefarious reasons. And it all comes to a head when the monsters and the superhumans end up in a huge punch-up and... Well, there's just a lot of stuff to unpack here, so um, we're going to get into what we did and didn't like, uh, our general recommendations on the show, and uh, further thoughts. So why don't, uh, why don't you take us away, Scott? What did, uh, what did we like about this? What did you like about this? Sure. Uh, some of the stuff I liked, uh, there was a lot of callbacks to events from Season 1 in Season 2, so you could sort of tell that the, uh, the show's creators had at least paid attention enough in season one to be able to reference stuff, have characters come back, occasionally have themes come back uh, from season one. So cool. that's always kind of nice to see. Uh, they didn't have as much impact as I'd like, and I'll get to that later, but it was it was still good to see. And uh, it's specifically, the there's like a Vietnam War-themed episode that I really ended up liking. It was sort of like... Uh, like America, you know, America in the, in the Vietnam War uses superhumans that are sort of a play on G.I. Joe's. And uh, it was very well put together. It had sort of a different take on the American experience in Vietnam. Uh, and it, I thought it was pretty pretty well done. I, I actually uh, looked up more information on that. Turns out that that uh, particular episode was Genya Robochi. <laughs> he was the one responsible oh, for it. Oh, you see? So, Look at that. So, uh, yeah, surprise, surprise. All of a sudden, things are a lot darker and a lot more serious, even with, like, crazy arm-swapping G.I. Joe things. Thanks, right. well, Ken. Ways... You're the best. You really the best. are. In a lot of ways, they use like yeah the trappings of of pop culture stuff to explore deeper themes when they're at their best, and that was a good example of it. Mm. Uh, so, all right, that's that's some good stuff for me. Who else got something? Um, I think I enjoyed you know some some of the callbacks to season one, but I, I enjoyed the just explosions of color of, of the art style. I enjoyed just 
how wild the show allowed itself to be. Like, it was never afraid to do anything. And I think very few anime gets the chance to be that wacky, but still contain it all, you know, with, within an idea. And um, I inevitably liked the way Jiro's story kind of flowed in an arc. Like, you're you're trying to understand who he is and what he's all about and the the callback to Clyde because I was pretty upset by episode 13 of, of season one I thought Clyde was here and gone way too fast and I think I mentioned that in the last podcast I was like no he's such a such an interesting character who brings so much to the table and you got rid of him in a span of I think it was like two episodes so Clyde get, gets his call back and there's purpose behind who he is and, and what he's doing. So I, I appreciated that, you know, Conquer Evolucio has its own voice. And, you know, this season last song was was no different. It did what it wanted to do and it went full throttle all the way. No, uh, yeah, no slowing down here. Brendan? Yeah, wait. Um, I mean, again, the... Uh... You know, the art style, the, like the, the setting and the aesthetic is still as awesome as it was in the first season. Um, and like the, I don't know, like maybe the, uh, the references to, uh, period media slowed down a little bit just in the sense that there was so much stuff carrying over from the first one that, that only so much new stuff could be added. Um, but, uh, there was one, one particular revelation I had about, uh, some characters that had first appeared in, in season one, like after the, the second to last episode, I kept thinking back to, uh, Emmy calling out Sanai and the immortal family from the previous season's episode nine. Yeah, I remember those guys. And I, cause, uh, I hadn't, I hadn't really dedicated a lot of mental space to remembering anybody's name. Uh, and it was only after I would seen that quote and rolled it over a couple of times that it, it bumped into another brain cell I had that remembered reading an article a couple of years ago about the show Sazai-san, uh, which at the time was the last anime to uh, progress from cell animation to digital animation. So I went and I looked it up, and it turns out that the uh, Sazai-san is uh, an adaptation of a manga, or not a manga, a comic strip, that uh, the anime started in the, the late 60s and the comic strip itself ran f- from the mid-40s to the 70s. And it's about a woman and her husband who moves in with her family, which is her two parents and her two siblings, and then uh, her and her husband's son, which is exactly the family breakdown of the Sanai family in Concrete Revolutio. Uh, like in... In Kakura Revolution, the other uh, her her two parents and her two siblings are na- named Morino, uh, as opposed to Isono, which is what they are named in this, uh, the Sazai-san continuity. But what really struck me about that is that instead of taking a trope that is internal to the world of another work, like aliens or monsters or or what have you, this one plays on the fact that the Sazai and Isono families have not aged in seventy years. And I thought that was fantastically meta of them. See, I would say you're making this up, but you've done too much research, and you just sound too smart for you to be making this up right now. Well, so my, my quote sense. doesn't even work, man. <laughs> this is something I think uh, 
you know, might not be obvious to a lot of American viewers, but it's probably a pretty blatant shout for anybody who actually li has lived in Japan for a long time and has seen Sazai-san on the TV for as long as they've been alive. <laughs> That's actually a good point, and it, it sort of brings us to one of the issues with this uh, show, is that it's it's really not for us as an audience. I mean, anime doesn't generally target Americans for the most part. I mean, there are certainly ones that play better to us than others. But this one is very, very heavily focused on so much of Japanese pop culture that it's really aimed at its home audience. So that's actually a really cool catch. And that's, I agree, that's probably something that plays really well to uh, that group. But interesting trivia, nonetheless. Um, as for me, I'd say uh, the things I liked, well, the visuals were as garish and memorable as ever. Um, never, uh, never really slowed down, and it always looks really good. Um, it was cool seeing how some of the players from Season 1 either maintained or changed their relationships. Uh, Otanashi, the kid who was formerly a member of the Boys of Light and now pilots the giant not-Mechagodzilla thing, uh, trying to sort of step into Jiro's shoes and side against other superhumans. It was neat, though it didn't get the payoff I was hoping for, but we'll get into that kind of stuff later. Um, and the more personal stories, like the musicians from the Angel Stars and the Augmented Super Soldiers in that Vietnam episode, they put a face on a lot of the bigger abstract concepts that were being tossed around and were definitely the most memorable moments of the second season. I really enjoyed those. I felt they were the strongest part of both the first and second season, but this one in particular. Um, and I liked the setup for the conflict between superhumans and the supernatural and demonic beings uh, from the old world. It was a really neat idea, and unfortunately it only gets brought up a little over halfway through the entire thing, so it, again, doesn't, well, even though it's the central conflict of the final, uh, of the final climax, it doesn't, it doesn't actually feel like it's the built, it's, it doesn't feel like it's been built up to nearly as much as it should have been. So, I guess that kind of brings us around to the stuff we didn't like. Scott, why don't you uh, why don't you take the reins again? Because I know that you've got a lot of stuff you want to talk about. It's true. We probably won't even get to, uh, to I won't say most of it, but quite a bit of it. But uh, one of the things you said that uh, something didn't get payoff, I think, was probably a good, it's a good lead-in. Because I'm going to bring up, like, one of the biggest ones for me, like, Master Ultima. Oh, man. Yeah, this was, this was like, sort of like, I can't even tell if it was Japan or Earth's sort of most notable, most powerful, most something superhuman. He like this Superman. isn't a guy who's yeah, he's this isn't a guy who's like fighting thugs on the street. This is the guy who's like negotiating treaties between nations, going out to space to fight alien invasions. Like he is a big deal. Like he's he talks with the Prime Minister on television and it's big you know, this is big news. And then he just basically gets killed off camera by Emmy. Uh, near the end of the thing, because they're setting up this final conflict. And, like, almost out of hand. And I have no idea why we went this way with him. Like, we've, he's been in the background as a big, important guy for pretty much two seasons. Like, what happened? Yeah, that was that was kind of ridiculous. Like, I had expected there to be a fake-out. Like, oh, he's not really dead. This was some sort of imposter or clone or something. But, no, she just kind of kills him. Like, she... There's an explanation about how she was able to get more power to do it later on, but like you said, it happens off camera, so we're just taking your word for it. 
Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna steal that and actually right. go go backwards. One of one of the things about Concrete Revolutio, the first season, that I thought was amazing is that they they tell this very chaotic story. There's so many characters and so many plot lines, and the the timeline is jumping mid episode many times. But I think everything worked because it was pivoting around a central idea. And you know, I have I have a lot of interesting thoughts on narrative, which we don't have nearly enough time to talk about. But I think you can you can introduce chaotic elements as long as you have a vision. And first season had a very impressive vision. It had ideas it wanted to share, and it pivoted very heavily around the idea of justice. Season two wants to pivot around justice. It it does, but it doesn't. <laughs> And everything that happens, sure says yeah, it a lot. Everything that happens is an explosion of chaos, untamed, unpinned chaos. It's just like, oh, the the angel stars are are back to do something at the very end, <laughs> and like that was always just an excuse to get stars. Aki into her underwear again. It's like I get it, show she's hot. Can you stop doing that? So so there was that, and then. Like, Judas was running around, and, I mean, he had ties... I could never figure out oh that guy's gosh. deal. He had ties to yeah, Earth-Chan, no. and Earth-Chan had such an amazing and interesting plotline going, like, she had dreams like a human, but, like, all of Japan looked to her as the symbol of right and wrong, and she's... I don't know what the heck she's doing the whole show. She gets woken up, and then she's flying around, and then she gets possessed by the helmet. She's completely just not there in the show. And whenever she appears, she just spouts out some stupid lines like, "Eh, how come humans can't choose right from wrong? And you're like, Earth-Chan, just just go away. Like, I don't even know what you're doing here. Right. Like Either be a character or or step aside. So that was lost? Right, like, season one made a huge deal out of her being broken, and then, like, they were going to fix her and all this other stuff. And, like, it just, it didn't, pay off at all it was completely ridiculous daitetsu i mean i liked him and i totally agree with everything dan was saying about how he he's stepping into jiro's role and desperately trying but he almost became comical to me at a certain point he's just in this stupid like t-rex robot and he's like i'm gonna defeat you jiro and then like he loses and it's almost like you can I'll steal Scott's line. You can see the Looney Tunes circle closing in. And it's like, why can't I be Echoes? Why? <laughs> like, what is this? Like, he just kind of tried some stuff, and he never he never grew as a character. He was always just kind of like, I want to be Jiro, but I can't be. And and sometimes I struggle with justice, but I don't really struggle because it's black and white to me. So I'm still maybe a child. Like, nothing about him ever paid off. He never grew. All, all and all of those side stories where they tried to introduce more folklore, the the Devila Devilo episode, the whatever the hell was going on with the flowers growing on people's heads, the skiers episode. Jeez, oh, that was ridiculous. That was completely pointless. I mean, the Vietnam episode was great, but it also never really talked about anything. Right, it doesn't. It doesn't go, go anywhere. anywhere. It's just a good episode it, it by became itself. This yeah, just... like I was, I was certain, I was certain that like the the general with the crazy mustache and the and like the living tank thing was going to come back again. But no, they never even brought them back. And he he like practically he practically shouted to the camera, yeah, he "I'm says, going like, to be a returning antagonist, face my and true enemy." It's... Yeah, it's right. just unpinned chaos untethered chaos and i think 
I, I said all that just to say, Scott, in a lot of ways, Master Ultima is repercussions of that. The entire show didn't know what it was doing. It had these one-off episodes that were untethered to any central theme. And then in the end, they were like, oh, we have Master Ultima. I don't know. Just let Emmy kill him off. We'll animate it really cool so nobody complains. Like, that was it. Yeah, or we had this plot point we knew needed to happen, and we kind of ran out of time and didn't really, like, make it impactful or tied into the story, but it has to happen, so this, here goes. This is a show And it only is 11 episodes, so they, run out, they had to have run out of yes. money, or they could have animated another one or two. They ran out of something. Yeah, it Maybe was shocking I don't know. that they didn't Contra- make the full thing. Contractual stuff, who knows? They're, I'm sure that eventually more... Uh, more insightful people will figure out what happened, but one way or another, this thing ran out of something, be it money, time, or energy. It was one of my favorite things in uh, one of the episodes I got. I think it was episode, what, nine or nine or eight was me, and um, I like they're they're heading into this final battle, and all this stuff is happening where uh, like Clyde's helmet is possessing everybody. Oh, that's right, and. Uh, IQ shows up and I, I put as my little caption underneath, I was like, do you remember IQ? Don't lie to me. No, you don't. And it was just one of my favorite things to type because <laughs> oh, I was like, I freaking remember anything that's going on. They're just calling back all these characters as though, as though they matter, as though they had impact and well, right, they don't. Because they had like ad agency guy kidnap her and it was like, are you going to do something with that kidnapping? Does that ever going to matter or come? No, it never come matters or comes up again. Like, and then at one point, the government invents the these nuts robots, and they just like drown at the end of the two episodes. Like, they just drown them in the ocean. It's like just <laughs> kidding. And oh my gosh, I was I was like, what is even happening? Well, it seems like like that was actually another one of their problems. I think they had too many characters because I was looking at like characters that came back, like uh, IQ Girl or whatever. Or Megasheen, it was like, could you guys give us like a title card to remind us of who these people are? You've got a stylized aesthetic here. Just throw up a title card that says, hey, I'm Megasheen, remember me? And But then there were characters that like, the maid at the professor's house, or the guy who's in charge of the bureau in episode were, were two, they, that only show up they once supposed to and be never show up again. Like, significant? Right, like what happened to them? Gosh. Like, that's a huge part of the timeline that we're just never going to deal with again. Why yeah. not? He's in the opening theme song, for God's sake. He's fighting Raito in the opening uh, theme song. Yeah, that's... Who is um, that guy? That was ridiculous. You know, one uh, thing I, I do want to bring up, since you reminded me of fighting Raito in the opener, um, a lot of the first season actually had tension and weight to it. You know, like w- when they battle against Raito, or the, their ideals collide with his, or when their ideals collide with, with other characters... Because the central theme of justice was was there, and everybody had their own take on it, and that's what, what they were fighting for. I never felt a real sense of tension in this season. I remember laughing at one point because I think I actually wrote it down in, in one of the episodes I reviewed. I was like, this whole time, everyone... Like, episode one, you get that, that shot from the future where everyone's trying to run after Jiro, and you're you're assuming to yourself that Jiro is this fugitive that... Everybody's going to have conflicted views on, but secretly wants huh. to, you know, some of them wish he was back in the Bureau. Some of them have to see him as an enemy. There's going to be this interesting character play. It's complete nonsense. Jiro shows up every single time and Jaguar, like, plays dad. And he's like, Jiro, you probably shouldn't do whatever it is you're doing. 
Oh, you're going to do it anyway? Okay, well, I tried. P.S. See you later. And then the girls are basically sitting there, like, fighting for his his pants or whatever. They're just like, we should stop Jiro. But he's hot, so let's not stop him. Or let's fake stop. Like, Emmy would help him majority of the time. And Kiko would be like, I'm gonna fake do stuff, Metro Tail. It didn't work. Oh, no. And... Like, I don't know, Furoto was just running around, and he's like, Jiro, what are you doing here? Hey, man. Like, there was no tension whatsoever. He would show up and just do his thing, and the Bureau would be like, oh, well, I guess Jiro showed up. I guess he's, like, our enemy or something. Daitetsu was the only one who ever had any gravitas to his ideals. He was like, I am seriously gonna murder you in my T-Rex robot, unfortunately, but I am seriously going to murder you. It never mattered. Like, Jiro was hanging out in some abandoned building hideout. Like, he might as well have invited the Bureau over for tea and cookies as often as he was freaking, like, on the opposite side or having run from the Bureau. That that whole gravitas was right. gone. Right, well, there's, like, what's the point of the Bureau now? Like, we're not even sure what the Bureau's purpose is anymore. As far as we can tell, most of the stuff whole... is handled by the government ninjas. Right, the government ninja, exactly. The government ninja squad starts showing up, and for several of the early episodes, we're building it up more and more that the government of Japan is basically making, like, this, I don't know, another military arm that they can send after superhumans, and they're getting more and more militant and willing to, like, use lethal force, and then they just disappear forever. Up like, until which, they need cannon what fodder happened to for those the final guys? Uh, battle, however. Well, the, everyone was cannon fodder for the final battle. Literally every character in the entire show was in the final battle, but... Like, until that point, where were we going with that? It was kind of a cool idea. Like, you know, the Bureau is supposed to protect superhumans at the behest of the government, but the government is now itself moving against superhumans. Like, but we just stopped exploring it. It just... You're killing me. Yeah, it ceased to to be about... It ceased to be about a concept of justice and responsibility, and it started being about, I guess... uh, I I guess government, uh, government overreach and... I. It would just—it felt very messy, no matter no matter what uh, theme they were going for, and the number of things that got dropped is just kind of unfortunate. Like we go into little bits of detail about all these characters' pasts and everything, but in the end, it really doesn't matter. The only—I mean, Brendan, didn't you point out what what was Kiko's deal? What that she was. Uh princess of the underworld like or like queen yeah of, like wait yeah, she was yeah her whole like, demon queen thing is that ever gonna come like, up again like it's, like, it's, it's, it's the whole uh you know princess from another dimension comes to earth to you know like experiment with her magic powers that was a big magical girl trope back in the day except it's the devil realm and like she you know eats people's happiness for power and then there was this you know the, the whole thing about uh I just wanted to know how, uh, how, like, Claude says in, in the first season that he spoke to the actual queen of the Devil Realm about we Kiko. Assume, we assume her mom or something? Yeah, he, sp- he says he spoke to your mother, uh, her mother, and he's, I'm, I'm just sitting here like, are we, are we ever gonna interact any deeper into this backstory? And then the answer to that was no, and we never got, like, and then, you know, Emmy, you know, pulls some, some yokai BS. And, uh, like, separates, you know, Kiko's split personality 
and stuffs it into like a tiny a tiny tiger. Well, like like, and then the the one personality that's having issues with Jiro, uh, like gets you know becomes a yokai, which means it, you know is the, the subservient to Emmy as princess of all yokai. Uh, and then like we never figure out who's going to become the next queen of the devil realm, and then. Or really, any of Kiko's motivations, because uh, other than I, other than I want to be with Jiro, right? I think I think that's the crux of the whole thing: is nothing ever matters, and the biggest slap in the face is that it turns out. Spoilers, get ready for it. Ad agency guy, um, is totally just like Jiro, so it's it's revealed in season one. I didn't catch it, but Jiro is the personification of the atom bomb and this other guy from the ad agency is the personification of now i had originally thought it was the second atom bomb that america drops on japan and instead well, after the he's... first one turns into a boy you think we probably would have said nah maybe we shouldn't be dropping these anymore yeah i mean you guys you guys pointed it out and the, the last episode was such a blur i was you uh. know, trying to grasp anything but He's some random meteor that hit the Earth. And he's like, yeah, you see, I too am born of something super powerful. Q plot device. Like, it's just the biggest slap in the face ever. Like, you wanted nothing to matter, nothing matters, and then this shows up in the last episode. Right, it's like... This character runs an ad agency, and actually a lot of the show has been about how he's manipulating people's perceptions to go against superhumans, which is a really good, cool, interesting thing to explore about media and its power on people. And then they're like, oh yeah, and he can also stand toe-to-toe with Jiro in a physical conflict. Why? Why would that even matter? Why would you do that? That's not the point. I, I have no idea. By the way, just in case anyone's curious, I think I've been calling that guy Clyde the whole time, and it's definitely Claude. Thank you, Brendan. Oh. No problem. Uh, which I guess leads into one of my biggest complaints, which I guess I should get out now since we're running out of time here, which is like Conquer Evolutio, at least season one and good parts of season two were sort of defined by moral grayness, like good and evil aren't simply defined. What is the true meaning of justice? All of this other stuff. Right. And then the ending of the show is all of the superhumans team up to beat up all of the monsters, and then anyone who wants to leave gets to do through so through a magical portal we created that has no consequences. It's like, wait, what? Like, the whole point of your show was there's no easy answers, but we're just going to use one of those to end the show. And the end of the show is, right we now? ran out of funding and stuff to do, we're going to serenity this shiznit right now. Like, oh, it's, it's so depressing. But anyway, we've only got about three minutes, so recommendations? I mean, as you might be able to tell, I'm not going to recommend this show. Uh, I mean, it takes what was an incredible show and kind of monochromes the moral grayness, simplifies all of these complex characters, and then betrays its own message in the final episodes. And because of the way the show is made, it retroactively makes the first season worse. So, no. Just watch season one, please. I'm going to say watch the whole thing. It's not good in season two. It... It does throw out a lot of the concept of season one, but I think maybe just as a creative exercise, I would watch both seasons, and who knows, maybe you're going to get more out of it than we did. There are plot holes a mile wide, but you you might get more out of it. So I'm, I'm going to say watch it. Just be aware of how angry we sound in this podcast, because season two, last song, is very 
poorly put together in our opinion. Concrete Revolutio is a trope salad the likes of which I have never seen. If you're interested in anime and manga history and enjoy spotting like references, direct and indirect, this is a fascinating show to pick through. Just, you know, be aware that it's never going to be as coherent as you'd like it to be. Uh, also, if you ever figure out what like shape-shifting Casper the Friendly Ghost analog for Rota is supposed to be a riff on, let me know, because that's really bugging me. So, final thoughts, I guess? I agree with Scott that the second season is far weaker than the first, but I have to say that it did have some redeeming qualities. A few of the episodes were strong enough that I was able to enjoy it in the moment, and the individual stories were still fun to watch. It looks, it still looks great. There's nothing else that looks or sounds quite like it, so it's certainly unique. And if you liked the first season, I mean, the second one has some of that spark that you probably enjoyed, but it just loses it in the long run. I can't really give a firm yay or nay. I'm, I'm disappointed, and I'm sure that a lot of people are going to be disappointed in this season, but for completion's sake, I can't say that I blame you for following it through. I'm glad I did, even if it turns out that the second half just didn't hold up to the first. So I guess that's it. Watch it if you've seen the first, but don't go looking for it if you're not already planning to watch the whole thing. All right, everybody. Well, that's what we have. So if you watched Concrete Revolutio last song, definitely drop us a comment. Thanks for listening. Me some-